and welcome to an episode of More Than Dice. Today, Kathy is gone, or she looks like really, 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 really weird and different. Hey, uh, hey, this is weird, but I don't look weird. <laughs> well, if you were Kathy, you would look weird for Kathy. Sure, I guess, I guess. You would look weird for Kathy. Um, John, what episode are we on, by the way? Uh, 112. Welcome Ooh. to episode 112. The uh, Oz show is what we're going to call it. Um, in place of Oz today, uh, in place of Kathy is Oz today. Oz uh, is from Privateer Press. Um, and he's going to be uh, talking a bit about uh, Warcaster and uh, some Mompok, because that was actually requested by some viewers. And anything else that yeah. anybody randomly wants to talk about. And my dog, I guess. We'll talk about my dog, too. <laughs> um, but before that, we need to say thank you to all of our sponsors out there that help and host us and try to get us out to everybody else. We want to thank uh, Metalhead Minis for hosting and selling our products. You can find a link to her webpage down on the bottom of Twitch. Uh, we want to thank Muse on Minis for hosting our files and getting us out to everybody. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Tectonic Crest Studios for providing some cool giveaways and... Um, Providing some cool things for Warfare Weekend. We can't talk about just yet, but will be. Um, and also Creature Caster uh, for providing a really cool gift certificate for everybody and sponsoring our past. And I will be using his paints to paint up some new models uh, after Adepticon. Uh, also pay attention, if you don't know, like us on our Facebook page because we'll be giving away a $30 gift certificate to Creature Caster pretty soon. Um... Before we get started, uh, there is a tradition on the podcast, Oz. Um, yeah. What are, you, what are you drinking tonight? Water. Oz. I have a bottle. It's very exciting. Tell us, tell us about your water. Is it? Does it have a? Uh, is, is it from a, a distinct region of the world? No, it's tap water. <laughs> it's. I generally we we generally have uh, some distilled water that we keep in the refrigerator, but. We had an accident recently with some water bottles falling out of the car when the door was opened and exploding everywhere, so I haven't replaced all those yet, so I'm just drinking tap water. It's not the worst tap water in the world, but um, it's it's not the best, but it's okay. Okay. Uh, John, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, I have a small uh, cup of some uh, <laughs> orange juice mixed with some 43 vanilla liquor. Uh, tastes like a creamsicle. That's great. Gonzo, um, what you got? Tonight, I am drinking a hard cold brew, uh, a brown bomber. It is a flavored malt beverage. It is um, ice cold liquored coffee. Uh, it's only like so, 4%. So you're telling me I'm a designated driver on this show? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, you're going to have to keep us on topic. I'm very used to that. Off. Um, so we'll be doing that. Um, do we have any um, salutes this time, uh, John? Uh, Clive Cussler, who uh, is most notably known for the uh, Sahara and the other Dirk Pitt novels, along with uh, Raise the Titanic, if you're old enough to remember that movie, before we actually found the Titanic. Uh, he passed away. I think he was 88, if I remember correctly. That's, that's, uh, and good time. that's the main one I remember. I don't remember anything, anything else. else. I did see that, and I was like, oh, man. Because I always see his books every time I go to a bookstore. So. They're everywhere. There's a boat on the cover. He's been writing some with his son recently, though. 
uh, from me walking through stores and noticing two names on the covers of those books. Uh, so I'm sure that those will continue. Gotcha. Yeah, probably. I have Sahara, but I haven't finished it. Uh, I think I started it when I was in a weird mood. And if you know if you're trying to read a book in a weird mood, you're not going to finish it. Uh, so for everybody out there, everybody's listening, everybody's watching, because we know a lot more people listen than they do watch, we appreciate you. We appreciate you paying attention. We appreciate everything you do for us. Cheers. 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 I'm reserving my water for necessity. You know, oh. don't want to waste it. Man. <laughs> Stuff's not bad. It needs a little bit more multi-flavor. Um, okay, so for today, Oz... I've known you for a few years. I've seen you around. Yeah. Some people are brand new to our show uh, and don't know. Tell us who you are and what you do at Privateer Press. So I am, my real name is William, but before we get way deeper into confusing things. Uh, but if you know the history of Privateer Press, you know that there have been a lot of wills that have worked there. And there have been, especially some times where there has been a lot, there's been a convergence of wills. So even though I've gone by will for about 20 years, when I got to Privateer Press, I changed my name to a nickname based on my middle name, which is Austin, which is how I was called when I was a child, to Oz, so that it would be less confusing. And the funny thing about today is that most people that have met me through Privateer Press don't know that my name is Will. So, there you go. My last name is not worth really talking about. It's hard to pronounce. It's hard to spell. It doesn't matter. And I am the uh, manager of the development team at the company. So I coordinate all of our work with all the other departments, and then I, I assist with whatever's necessary from, like, rules writing and reviewing and those kind of things for the other projects. I'm also the lead on Monster Apocalypse. So uh, I took over from Jason Souls just before it went to print uh, for the starter boxes. And then ever since, uh, basically... The beginning of 2019, I have been creating all of the brand new rules for all the models because we did a lot of stuff up until basically December, January of 1819 for, for during the playtest process mm -hmm. at the beginning of the game, and then eventually all that stuff came out, and then I've been creating the newer models. You also did, if I remember correctly, didn't you do stuff with uh, level seven? I am the guy from Level 7, yeah. Matt created the setting, and I made all three of the games with a lot of help from other people. Uh, I also did Where's Wood in Undercity, and Company of Iron was my project, too. Gotcha. So, basically, if it's kind of big and a side game from from basically 2012 to 2017-ish or 18-ish, it was, it was more than likely something I had a hand in. Um, unless it was something that like DC worked on, like High Command or whatever. Gotcha. I, I've known you since you know the beginning of time, so I've known well, you yeah. But but then again, uh, I used to live in the Midwest. I'm from the Kansas City area. I lived in St. Louis a little bit. So those first couple of War Machine weekends, back back in the early 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 days of War Machine, I went to. Me and some guys drove a couple hours from Kansas City down to Springfield instead of, you know, flying into St. Louis and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's there's some people who have met me regionally and then other places, Adepticon, Gen Con, whatever. How, how, did, you, how did you get into working with Privateer Presence? You were in KC. Uh, so, I, I got a job at Steve Jackson Games in 2006. I had been working in radio and not enjoying it very much because radio... Uh, is 
lame. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to work on radio because WKRP and other great shows from the 70s and 80s where radio was fun. Like news radio was a big influence on that too uh, with Phil Hartman and stuff. And then I got into radio and I found out it was just a just a big corporate crazy thing with with a whole lot of ownership and all, not very many jobs. So I couldn't really go anywhere career-wise in radio, so I gave up. And Steve Jackson Games had a job opening for an art director, and I was already a volunteer for them. So I'd been demoing Munchkin and stuff for a couple of years. And my wife had family in Austin, Texas, so I just applied on a whim and got a job. And then while I was there, I was there about five years, and while I was there, I did print buying and art direction still, and eventually development helped with Munchkin Quest and Nanook and Revolution and a couple of their games. And then in 2000, I guess it was probably the very beginning of 2011, Privateer Press had a job opening for a game developer. And back then I was very convinced that was exactly what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> so I applied for that job. And I already known DC because DC was also from, he, he lived in St. Louis while I lived in Kansas City last. And, and we had met at War Machine Weekend and then at Gorilla Con and other regional shows. And I had met a few of the other people there. Uh, I met Ed at a, at a Gen Con like a year before. So I didn't know a lot of privateers, but I, I knew some of them. And uh, I applied for the job and got it. And then I walked in and they were like, there's this level seven thing we want to make games for. Go crazy. And you did? And I did. <laughs> I did. To different levels of crazy. But yeah. Well, I did, did notice that. Um, level seven? What? What'd you say? Would you say that you're that you're crazy reached level seven? No, no, that's a that's a deep dark place full of lots of terror and uh, aliens. So no, not quite that bad. <laughs> three or four, maybe three or four. So I wanted to bring up something. Um, I know that some of the hot picks right now. That the reason why we asked you on is to come over and talk about um, Warcaster, which is the new game that Privateer Press is doing. Um, mm -hmm. give us just a quick, cause I know some people are just still kind of learning about it and, uh, just seeing like the new stuff. Just give us a quick background of what, uh, Warcaster is. Okay. So th there's, there's two elements of Warcaster. There's the narrative element and the gameplay element. The narrative element is a lot of the stuff that's happening in the Iron Kingdoms. That is the war machine and the horde setting leads to some people evacuating the planet through a, through a magic teleportation gate. They end up in a place really far away from anything they've known, and they have to restart civilization. And then Warcaster takes up the story 5,000 years later after these people have populated all these worlds through all these magical teleportation gates and stuff. So narratively, it's kind of rooted in the Iron Kingdoms and War Machine and Hordes. But gameplay-wise, it's basically nothing like those games. So a lot of people, when they first saw we were doing it, were saying things like, oh, it's War Machine in space. And while it is kind of story-wise, War Machine in Space, it's not gameplay-wise War Machine in Space. Correct. Uh, if, if you've watched our live stream where Hungerford and I played a game of it last week on Tuesday, then you've seen everything I'm going to talk about. But uh, for anybody who hasn't, I'll explain myself. Um, at, the, at the core of it, we really wanted to make a different miniatures game than anybody had ever played before. Because a lot of miniatures games are put your models on the table and try to accomplish an objective 
And as models die, they're gone forever. Maybe you can summon them back with magic, or maybe you can drop in new troops with, you know, various sci-fi elements. But we wanted, we wanted attrition to kind of come out of the game as a core, fundamental, driving aspect. And we wanted to make the game simple and give you lots of options without weighing you down with lots and lots of choices on the table. So Warcaster, the core element of it is summoning models through portable gates that you drop. And so you're never out of the game. If, if I kill half your models, then you can just put all those models back on the table. And you can bring models onto the table that you didn't need in the early part of the game to win you the game toward the end and that kind of stuff. It uses Monster Apocalypse dice, so we call them Strike Dice at Private Tree Press. They're also the same dice that are in Riot Quest. And technically, they're the same dice in uh, Level 7 Omega Protocol, because it used pretty basic dice. And they are, they are white dice and blue dice and red dice, but we're not using the blue dice in Warcaster. So white dice have three blanks, two single hits and a double hit, and then red dice are the same, except they only have one blank. And when you roll your dice, you just count the number of hits on them. And in Warcaster, there's an opposed dice roll. So I make an attack roll, you make a defense roll, and your defense successes cancel out my attack successes. And then there's a damage roll versus armor. And, uh, and then instead of other resources, like Privateer Press is well known for resources in games, uh, every single one of our games has some sort of bedrock resource mechanic that drives everything. So in this, it's called Arc, which is short for Arcanescence. And those are tokens that you, that you move around placing them on models, powering up gates with them, using them to cast your own spells more powerfully, and that kind of stuff. So you have a little bit of a way to tweak the power level of your models. And then every single model in the game has an ability that it gains if it has an arc on it. It's called the charged ability. And then it has an ability that it can spin that arc, which is called spiking, to do something special. Like the sniper can spike to drop the armor value on people. The ranger fire team can spike to move three more inches. So there's a lot of options of not just do I put this bead on this model to make it shoot better, do I then put the bead on this guy because that gives him a force field all the time, and do I spin the bead off of this guy because that will let him you know, jump over a building or whatever, various things. There's all kinds of interesting abilities. Basically, if you look at a model, you can kind of judge what its job is, and that's basically what its different charges and spikes will kind of let it do. And we'll explore all that as we go deeper and deeper into the setting and the models and everything. Right now, we've only shown off two starters physically, model-wise, mm -hmm. and then the third faction starter is only a piece of art right now. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up some pictures of that. Uh, the first picture I'm gonna show you. I mean, you can't see it because you're not watching Twitch, but our listeners can. Yeah, sure. And um, this one right now is one of the factions which I thought I was gonna get into until you showed the new faction. Yeah. Um, and this is what the iron. The Iron Star Alliance. Yeah, the Iron Star Alliance. I'm still trying to learn yeah. these names because yeah. I watched, like I said, I watched your your game that you did on air where Will trounced you, and I uh... my dice my dice did not work out for me. In that game. <laughs> no, your <laughs> dice. dice games, your dice, games dice fucked. <laughs> your dice fucked yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I saw this and I was like, this was really cool. <clears throat> and, in, and I know a lot of people like want to know how the factions and stuff and an easy description. What could you give us as an easy, quick description of what the Iron Star Alliance is? So um, I'm going to tell you what whatever I can remember off the top of my head, but also 
we just launched a factions page on warcaster.com yes a couple days ago so if you go to if you go to the top of the private press homepage there's a products pull down and there's a warcaster one and there's like a setting tab and a factions tab so you can see a lot of stuff about this kind of thing and we'll be expanding all that information as we go on especially when the kickstarter is live so the Iron Star Alliance is basically civilization. So, so the, the humans that, f that fled from Cain, the world of the Iron Kingdoms, they ended up in this new galaxy, and they found all these empty worlds that you could get to through gates. And they populated them, and then basically their society started coalescing into something. So governments started appearing, empires and that kind of stuff. And the Iron Star Alliance is basically, you can imagine it like the core worlds of a lot of sci-fi settings. Mm -hmm. So it's the places that were the easiest to populate by environment or travel or whatever. Because the gates are not, they're not 100% reliable. So the gates are all automated. And some gates are on like a daily cycle. Like every day at noon, it opens up and it takes you to this planet. Some gates, they open a couple times a week and maybe they open to different places sometimes there might be gates that like the alignment only happens once every year and then the gates are open so there's places that are hard to get to in the setting and there's places that are much more easier to get to so the iron star alliance is all the corporations and empires and governments and stuff that that took the that were built up in the easiest places to do that and they became kind of obsessed with rules uh so anybody out there who's like uh you know a lawful kind of player, whether it's good or evil. You know, I'm not going to judge if you want to be good or evil lawful. But, um, so they're kind of a lawful people. They, they have <coughs> rules, they have regulations. Some people don't like those rules and regulations. But they also have a lot of power to back up the enforcement of those things. And they're boxed at a bargain with paladins. They are their enforcement of the squad. And then there's a paladin. Like, kind of a space, but they're your, they're your, your guy who with the magic from the work after, which we haven't talked about, and I'll use that right now. The work after in a game of work after. Hey, Oz. Yes. Your mic is kind of messed up. Uh oh. It's, uh, it's not me. No, not me. It's plugged in. John, do you hear that? Yeah, I do hear it. Some sort of a feedback or something. I don't hear it. You must be talking in top secret stuff because, uh... Oh, maybe I am. Does that sound any different now? Uh, it's still bad. Let, let me, uh... Oh! Let me give you a call right back on the Skype uh, while we do this, and I'll bring up the other picture so people can see, and I'll give you a really quick... Uh, somebody's raspberry jamming you. <laughs> Alright, guys, uh, while I call Oz back on Skype, uh, they're bringing up the next faction that's coming up. Um... We'll bring Oz back real quick. Uh, the next faction that we have that I show up here is the Marches. And this one, I, I still there. Nope. You've got a problem with your mic, Oz. Try out nope, nope. plugging it back in. Yeah, it's not what I did. Oh. 
Oz, are you still there? Uh, am I still here? Yes, that's much better. Okay. Yeah, I just, just unplugged the USB and plugged it back in. Can everybody hear Oz, by the way, before we keep, keep going? Yeah, I can only barely hear him. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can crank him up a bit. I can turn my output back up also. Yeah. I think you probably had a, a conflicting problem with the mic on that and probably the mic on your computer. I don't have a mic on my computer. Or the camera. Oh. Maybe the camera mic thinks it's on? It could. You'd have to check Skype for that. I'll be that. So hey, wait, three, can you hear Oz on there really. for us? Can, can what? Ooh. One second. Let me see what I got here. Anyone in the chat room here, Oz? Uh, I'm talking. I'm saying things. You guys hear me? He says you're very quiet. You're yeah. Quietly. I can kind of hear him in there. Yeah. It's yeah, it's super quiet. I'll turn. I'll turn my my audio pickup back up. Yeah, change that up again. Okay. So. Is that better? It's too loud now. That's probably okay. what it was. You're probably. It, okay. So I put it in. The, I put it halfway. Was it a five? Now I'm in a seven. Am I better? It's... Yeah, Mouth John's right. As soon as the gain go, goes up, it starts to get unclear, and you get that feedback. It's weird why we weren't getting it the whole time. Yeah, we did it. We did the whole pre-show. We didn't have a problem. I mean, there is technically a microphone on this camera, but I've never had, <laughs> I've never had a lot of experience with this camera before. But I've also never had a problem with it. You can go into the uh, into Skype and have it choose which uh, microphone you're going to use. I've had that problem before. Yes. Okay. So. So yeah. So there we go. Oh, that. Leave okay. that alone. Don't touch it. Okay. It's still the gain is still set all the way up on ten. But you're so perfect. Sound great. Okay. Cool. So yeah, did that's... I did I not sound like this earlier when we were doing the no, pre-show? This no. Is, this is better than you sounded before. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, audio things. <laughs> hey, that's the reason why we do this. All right. I thought uh, I thought the pre-show was to fix any audio problem. We thought well, we did, but then now it's even better. Okay, cool. <laughs> now so, I mean, it was it was good, but now it's like clear, perfect, you know, HD sound. Well, it should be. These are brand new headphones. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if it was originally just the uh, mic uh, and the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it was just probably just the, it was probably just the tiny little terrible mic on the camera that's also bad. I apologize, anybody, for my. Uh, my video clarity, it's uh, its pretty terrible, but, you know, it is what it is. Okay. Yeah, it is it is. It's all good. So, we, we, wanted we, to, next, we, we brought up the next we go faction. into the next uh, faction he's going to show, Crimson1919 did have a question. I don't want it to go off our feet here. Okay. It's a, Is there interplanetary space travel in this universe or just by gates? Okay, so there's only gate travel. Only gates, okay. Uh, the, the ships that you keep seeing in art and stuff, which are very, very limited things are skyships they're not okay. spaceships because they've never developed interstellar flight because they haven't had to because these because the gate network connects everything so yeah okay. awesome now we brought up the next faction and what i call them is because they've got kind of a desert theme and they're kind of brownish and they wear a lot of cloaks and stuff uh was the marches the marcher worlds yeah yes yeah the marcher worlds can you give us a quick uh, description of what you what they are. So let me let me finish my other weird 
quick oh. description that I got interrupted because my microphone was terrible. So when you play a game of Warcaster, you're the Warcaster. So if you've played uh, War Machine or Hordes, the leader, the wizard that leads that army is on the table and can die. One of the things we identified early on with Warcaster was that we wanted that to not be possible. We wanted the, the, the scenario to be the main way you win. And so we decided to pull the Warcaster off the table and, and make you the Warcaster. So the person in the setting, in the story, there's a person sitting in a skyship directing the battle, sitting in a great big giant, what we call a rack, which is a chair with all kinds of power and stuff running through it. And so those two roles, you and the Warcaster role narratively and effectively on the table, are smashed together into that concept. Which I think, in my personal opinion, um, there has been, anytime I introduce the game of War Machine and Hordes to people, the, uh, somebody, they're kind of turned off by the Warcaster kill scenario. And when I found out and saw that y'all had removed this instant win type thing uh, from it, the people are, I know a lot of people are like, okay, I can get into this. I'm not going to lose on 1A, yeah. 1B, or so 2A. We so still, we still think that the way Warcasters and Warlocks in War Machine and Hordes work is really key to the to the game. Correct. And it, it gives you that catch-up mechanic in case you're doing badly and that kind of stuff. But it also gives you a different scenario to kind of play all the time. But we didn't want to just make another game that are already appealed to all the same people. We wanted to make a new game that appealed to a, a variety of people, some of the old people and some of the new people and some people that were in, in the middle or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so, so, uh, so the Iron Star Alliance is the people that control the core worlds and they have all kinds of rules. The marcher worlds are people who don't want to follow those rules. So they're also a coalition of planets, but they're the planets on the fringe. If you, if you know about the word marches, it means border territories. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of stuff in like fantasy stories about the marcher lords or the guys that control the borders. And we even have the bloodstone marches in the Iron Kingdoms, which are the borders of, of the Iron Kingdoms. So these are all the planets that were hard to settle or maybe a little bit cut off because of different gate travel things, which we haven't explored 100% yet. And, or they're just people that are really independent. And uh, they tend to be a little bit more rugged because they're from more rugged planets. So they're not as smooth and polished and clean as the Iron Star Alliance guys, and especially the Paladins. Okay. And then the last one, this one just recently got spoiled. Yeah, we just showed that a couple days ago. Uh, yeah, and I was like super, super stoked because I will tell you, the claw on that Warjack, I was like, yep, I'm in. Yeah, so uh, so this is probably my faction, uh, and I can't talk a lot about it because we're saving a lot of details of course. for the Kickstarter launch, but they're the Eternus Continuum. Uh, they believe in keeping their bodies alive for as long as possible. So they're like cyborged out to the max. If you look at their weaver, she's in the middle with the ball up in the air. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of replacement parts. Like her legs are totally robotic and other stuff like that. And then the, uh, the rest of the people are different levels of sci-fi. Uh, and Matt put out, uh, Matt Wilson, our uh, chief creative guy in order the company, he put out on his Twitter feed a model for them called the grafter. Who's like a doctor and he's got like little tiny robot arms and he's mm -hmm. holding saws and stuff. So they're, they're all about cybernetics and, and keeping themselves alive, but we're not going to talk a lot about them yet. 
Yeah, I just saw the picture and I was like, these look yeah. really, really cool. Because the the pre-release of the Weaver, I'm still trying to get the names right of everybody. Yeah, her holding the ball. Uh, that one single picture of her came out, and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. It's a new faction. Yep. And then I saw the Warjacks, and I was like, fuck yes. Yeah, I really like their as- the asymmetry of that Warjack. He's got a giant, giant crab claw, and then he's got a normal arm that can have a hard point on it and stuff. Yeah. I really like it. Um, so w- I want to get into some of the mechanical details of the game, because uh, we have seen some, and you said yeah. you haven't talked about all the mechanical rules of uh, the game. But most of them, uh, one of the things I was watching when I was watching you play, it was specifically yours. You had um, your solo, uh, was it the sniper? And you so, walked up the stairs. Yes. So in the Marcher World starter, there is the Ranger Fire Team, which is the, the squad. Mm-hmm. And squads in this game are generally going to be small. So three models or something like that. Uh-huh. We're not probably going to ever put out a squad of 10 models for this game. Okay. Um, then you have solos, and the weaver is the one with the staff, the one mm-hmm. that that brings the warcaster spells, attack spells like like fireballs and stuff on the table. And then other solos, the one in that box is the hunter, which is a sniper. And then there's a warjack in there. So yeah, um, when you say it goes up the stairs, what is your specific question? Well, okay, so when you were measuring, because there is no double run or double movement in this game outside yeah. of special abilities. Um, mm-hmm. type thing um, whenever you moved up the stairs on the terrain features can you just move up any height you want and just go so there are the restrictions okay the restrictions are basically the height of the thing you're trying to hop over so if it's I believe it's an inch or less you can just move over it okay um, and I think it might cost you an inch to move over it but if it's higher you can't move over it unless you declare it as climbable or whatever like that. So those stairs, Danny made these big sweeping staircases for those, for that that arc well thing, whatever the official name of it is. And uh, my model jumped up on the stairs from the side, I believe, because they were small enough. Like the very bottom stair on that thing is only like a half an inch tall. Gotcha. So it goes up in gradients. Well then, because also later on in the game, Y'all were playing, uh, Will was on top of that one building that was probably four inches or so tall, but it had yeah. ladders on the side. And you says, well, there's a ladder over here. So in the yeah. game, is it going to, you're going to have to have ladders? Is it- so basically like any other miniatures game, you have to declare what all the scenery is. Gotcha. And so if you declare something can be climbed or walked up or whatever, it works. But also there are ladders and stairs and that kind of stuff. Okay. So if you use a ladder, like... That bunker on the in the foreground of that game, mm-hmm. it has a ladder on both sides of it. Then we put staircases, and there were a few other things like that. And Hungerford and I could have, before the game started, declared that the little bracket braces that hold up the arc well situation that kind of look like ladders mm-hmm. were also climbable, but we just didn't. Gotcha. So on that building, there were there were two ladders on it, and I couldn't get my models for the ladder because that's how you would climb something that you didn't predetermine was already climbable. Gotcha. Because that was that was something I was I was curious because, um, I'm going to say thank you for 3D terrain. <laughs> thank you, well, thank you, thank you for this 3D this, terrain. This, this is, is something a... I really really love in games, and seeing sure. 3D terrain in this game made my you know nerd happy. So this is a personal rant of mine. I won't go crazy. I'm not going to get mad and stuff. <laughs> but War Machine has always had 3D terrain in it. Correct. 
Um, the volume line of sight rules from Warcaster are basically the exact same ones that are in Prime. Mm-hmm. It's just that certain elements of the community for precision measuring have decided that flat terrain is better terrain. Correct. And flat terrain is also very easy to transport. I understand fully. You can put an entire 64 tables worth of mouse pad scenery in a shoebox. But we've always had 3D terrain. We've always played in the office on 3D terrain. And we've always put out our tournament tables at cons and stuff as 3D terrain. Correct. Um, and, and one of my pet peeves about it is visually it pulls people in. Yes. If, you, if you're standing 30 feet from somebody playing a miniatures game and they're playing on a castle, you're going to walk over there. Oh, yeah. If they're playing on a featureless plane from your perspective, you might not be as inclined to walk over there. So, so yeah. So 3, 3D terrain versus 2D terrain is completely up to the community and the players in that community. But I have always argued strongly that 3D terrain is better than 2D terrain because I'm not that precise about measurements. And Warcaster kind of lends itself to less precision because they're the like you've seen squad movement. Squad oh, movement's yeah. a big deal. In squad movement, and this is kind of a trend in modern gaming, we just decided you pick a model. There's no leaders in the squad. There's just three members of the squad. You pick a model, you move that model to the speed of the squad, and then the other two models reposition within two inches of that model. Which I think is a, an amazing thing to do. It speeds so, yeah. up gameplay. Yeah. It, it makes it easy to maneuver. You don't have to worry about, okay, this guy's going to move three and then three and then three. Just one guy moves three, pick up the rest of them, and you're down. You, yeah. can, you can do some really cool stuff. But I had a question about that. Whenever mm-hmm. you pick up those models and you have to put them within, what, is it an inch? or a, for So the seat? movement reposition is two inches. Okay. Does that count for a height also? Or is it two inches, you know, vertically, horizontally, what? That I don't remember the specifics of from the rule book. Okay. Because I was wondering if I could have, like, one guy on top of a building and the other two guys on the floor, on the ground or whatever. So I was kind of curious about that when y'all were moving around. I believe I believe there's a part of the rulebook that talks about you know coherency and stuff, but I don't remember how much it talks about height and differences like that. Okay. Because okay. I, I, I gen- go ahead. But generally, there was a lot of confusion during the live stream because we were talking about volumes and not volumes. So when you measure, you generally do measure base to base, so on a flat horizontal surface. But when you measure line of sight, you're looking at what the what the volume of one model can see versus the volume of the other model. So you have to take into account anything that's actually in a line between the two of them and not just what would be experienced on some sort of flat surface. Mm-hmm. Um, one big question that came up uh, that someone asked me to ask you, um, yeah. and this was, uh, of course, coming from Crimson1919, um, when will we see Kador as a faction? Oh, no, no, that was, that was from... That was from Congo the Drumagund, or uh, oh, was it? oh, Hell Boop. Uh, yeah. Okay. When are we going to see Kador as a faction for um, so Warcaster? So, keep in mind, the time <laughs> difference is five thousand years. Also, only a certain amount of people from the Iron Kingdoms and Kane in general escape into this portal, and the Hinchhold Scrolls are building yes. to that kind of that kind of storyline element. Um, and, and the Warcaster 
like fiction will touch on a little bit. We're not going to deep dive into the specifics of what happened 5,000 years in the past because to these people, it's kind of, it's not a 100% mythological because, I mean, their society didn't crumble all the way down to a Stone Age yeah. and then build itself back up. But they're not really that concerned. So most of those geopolitical entities didn't really come across. Like gotcha. <laughs> when people saw the continuum model pictures for the first time, I saw a Facebook post that was like, please tell me these are Cephalix and Thamorites. Like, okay, so they are a secretive cult that does modify their bodies. But that doesn't mean Correct. they're 100% exactly Cephalix or Thamorites. So we will, we will never see Haley and Sorsha. I'm not going to say never. <laughs> I will never say never because cause absolutes, especially negative absolutes, bite you in the butt every time because yeah. you never know what's going to happen. And Haley does control time to a large extent. So, no no telling. But I would just be, I would be hesitant to expect something like a one-to-one translation of something from the Iron Kingdoms into Warcaster. There might be influences. There might even be words that are sh- shared. Because mm-hmm. you guys, we talked about the Harbinger Cannon on the Firebrand shoulder. So, so these people have words that are kind of stuck around that yeah. mean things. Like the, the Marcher World's Warjack is called a Dusk Wolf. So like they, they know their history and they know their past and these kind of ideas have filtered through. But that doesn't mean that you're ever going to see something like a man of war that's Kadoran with a, you know, Kadoran symbol on his shoulder walking around sci-fi Warcaster world. Gotcha. So that was actually a joke one because Hale Boop is uh, big on his Kador. He, any sure. game he gets into, he's like, what's the Kador faction? And it's just his shtick. Let's say. Well, you have my permission to paint anything red that you want to paint red. <laughs> um, now a, a, a serious question. That came about because um, there's everything's played as like a three man squad, Warjack solos, yeah, and the Weavers and such. Um, are we going to get named characters? So that's something we're not going to talk about at the moment. Okay, wait for the wait for the Kickstarter on any specifics. I mean, I am kind of admitting that we are by this statement, but I'm not going to talk about the specifics of that kind of stuff. But. Um, but, but keep in mind, recyclability of your models is a big important thing in this game. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, like, when you build a force, there's no effective leader on the table. Because I've seen some chatter on the internet also of some people even thinking, like, the weaver is the general. The weaver, if you're a War Machine player right now, a weaver is just an arc node. Yes, that, that's, 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 that's the, the way I is. looked at it. It was just a walking arc node. Now, the weavers might do other things for your army. They might have other special abilities. They might even have leadership-like abilities. But their job is to channel Fury Cypher cards onto the table. So that's that's what they do. Um, and if you're a Monster Apocalypse player, this game's going to feel very, very familiar to you because you're going to have a reserve of a bunch of models. Mm-hmm. They're even called units in this game. Off to the side. And you're not generally going to have all those models in play like you would in a traditional miniatures game. So... You might have three Paladin Enforcer squads in your reserves, but only ever pull out two of them. But maybe something goes a certain way, and you want that third squad on the table, and you get them there, and, and not enough of them die, and that kind of stuff. Well, I know um, it's this, and it's the same thing with Weavers and everything else. The 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 models that you need for the moment sometimes stick around longer into the game, but not necessarily because, it, as you've seen from that live stream, the game is also pretty brutal. 
things oh. don't necessarily stick around because they can come back so fast. We wanted to make sure that models weren't impossible to kill. The one thing that I did notice, uh, and I was like, holy crap, is squads. Uh, a squad of three just to me looks like it just rips the crap out of anything it touches because you roll for each model. Sure. And one model could crank out a ton of damage. And it so it could. It could if your dice go right. Correct. Uh, but the other thing about squads is they only have one hit point, and their armor's generally not very high. And there are we're we're not going to do AOEs, and we we talked about spray a little mm -hmm. bit on the live stream. And spray is just draw a line from the model out to the extent of its range. Yes, and then everything that line crosses hits it. So the the AOE if equivalent is a blast where you pick a model and it hits models that are close to that model. Mm -hmm. So squads can get blown up in one shot pretty easily. Oh yeah. There's also there's also some strafing fire kind of rules and stuff in the game, and warjacks. You can put three guns on a Warjack. So a Warjack, one activation firing all of its guns, could take out a squad, too. Oh, yeah. I so, just thought it was... I mean, nothing felt like it was, oh, my God, overpowered. But squads yeah. didn't feel like... Even though they had one hit point, they could dish out some decent amount of damage. And I yeah. was pretty impressed with that. Because, to me, I thought it was an interesting... You know, the, the concept, if it dies, you put it back in reserves and you can bring it back mm -hmm. out. You have an endless supply, pretty much. Um, yeah. Do you think there's going to be a pretty good tactic where you're like, uh, I want these guys to die, so well, I can. So, yeah. so one of the one of the interesting elements of that is that you can't resummon a squad unless all of its members are in your reserves. So if if you put a squad down and I kill two of those models, that third one's just sitting there, and during the summoning part of the step of the phases, you can recall models that are on the table, so you can pull things back to reserves. There's also a cipher card that does it so you can do a little bit faster and that kind of stuff. So you're going to have a lot of instances where you, and we've, we tell you in a call-out box in the rule book to mark what models are in what squads. Mm -hmm. Because if you have effectively nine paladin enforcers and you've summoned all three of those squads and five of those models have died, you have to know which squad is completely gone and which squads are still on the table. So there's, some, there's a little bit of bookkeeping like that. Just paint their shoulders blue and red and green or whatever do or their base marks their bases Maybe or whatever. And yeah. so technically a uh, tactic would be to suicide that one guy off the side of the building, let him jump off and die. And so you could bring, I him mean, back. You, you could do that. It's an option. <laughs> there is falling damage in the game. Yes. But it's, uh, it's only a, a number of white dice equal to the number of inches you fall. Mm -hmm. And you just, you saw how, how damage works. You have to roll as many hits as the model's armor. So you'd have to jump off a at least a three-inch building for a paladin to have a chance of dying unless the dice just spiked. And then they're white dice, so they they roll blanks pretty often. Yeah. So you're gonna on three white dice, you'd you'd have a decent chance, half and half about, for that guy to take that three damage to break his armor and squish him. But he might just jump off the building and land completely fine and walk away from it unscathed. You never You'd be know. Like, Damn it. Yeah, uh, John, but, but models still contest objectives and that kind of stuff. So there's there's reasons to leave those guys in play, Correct. and your opponent will take them off the table for you if they're in his way. Uh, Crimson nineteen nineteen has has a really good question, and I think this to me solves a lot of good uh, a lot of good things to help with the game. Uh, John, what's uh, Crimson's question? Is there facing in the game? Am I going to need to worry about marking the arcs on my bases? There's no facing in the game. 
Done. We wanted this game. It even says on the website it's it's high speed. We wanted the game to not take a lot of your time making small decisions. We wanted your decisions to be what is my plan for attacking this objective? Which models am I going to put out? How am I going to power my gates? What cipher cards do I want to use this turn? Not is my model facing exactly the right direction so you can't get a backstrike on me and that kind of stuff. It also helps with with overall rules density of the game to not have things like facing in there. Gotcha. Yeah, that's extra. That's, that's a good level to keep it simple at. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Um, are there going to be printed rules, or are we going to do online, uh, you know, PDF only? So I, I, I'm not sure what various versions of the rules are going to be, but we are planning, as far as I know right now, that there's going to be a starter rule book, just like all the War Machine rules now come with some sort of starter book. Cool. Like even I think I've even seen like a picture of the contents kind of mocked up, and one of those things is a rule book. Now that doesn't mean there won't necessarily be a PDF that is you know kept up to date with errata and stuff like that. But I'm I'm almost positive that every starter will have tokens and dice and a rule book along with the models. Um, I noticed uh, since y'all were playing this and everything, the objective system and the different rounds. And everything, nothing is a straight, I'm just going to beat each other up. Everything's a scenario based. Um, Being that, you know, a lot of people are tournament players. Have y'all already started working on, and I put a quote around this, a steamroller packet type thing? So so that kind of thing usually comes a little later. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we have steamroller. We have crush hour. We have all kinds of documents mm-hmm. to pull from. Yep. We haven't started focusing on what the competitive environment for this game looks like right out of the gate, because we're going to focus on launching it and getting it established, and you know, making sure that that everything comes out right from the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And then I'm guessing we'll put out some sort of tournament pack for it soon after. But we're not going to we're not going to really focus on that element of it right now before the game is in people's hands and, you know, the Kickstarter is done and all that kind of stuff. OK, um, one of the question I had about that, uh, the game, <clears throat> I don't remember if it was covered or not. Um, sure. So uh, y'all, you'll get to the end of your turns and you're both tied on control points. Uh, did mm-hmm. y'all did y'all talk about uh, tiebreakers? We have not talked about tiebreakers. Okay. The game is very scenario driven, so any kind of tiebreaker is specific on the scenario. Okay. And I don't believe that starter box kind of get your feet wet scenario has mm-hmm. has a specific tiebreaker that I can remember off the top of my head. Okay. I was kind of curious. But if anybody who hasn't watched that live stream wants to know a little bit more about what we're just talking about right there, is the game is tracked in rounds, but they're not traditional normal rounds. We realized really early on that having an activation system of I activate a couple of models and you activate a couple of models back and forth and models constantly coming onto the table meant that it was really hard to say that you take all your activation tokens off your models when all of them have activation tokens because new models are constantly coming on the table that don't have activation tokens. So there is a core rule that if your turn ever starts and all of your models have activation tokens, you pull all of them off. But the thing called the pulse tracker is also checking rounds, basically. So in a standard game, it is five turns between rounds. And in a skirmish game, which is a smaller game, which is what we played effectively on that live stream, it's three. So you get three activations, I get three activations, and then the round ends. 
and we check continuous effects and we take all the activation tokens off our models. And often in some scenarios, that's when you score stuff. Like the, the game we were playing this last week, it was if a model ends its activation near the objective, it scores. But in most scenarios, it is when the pulse tracker hits five or whatever, then you check the status of objectives. And if you have them secured, you get points. If you don't have them secured, you don't get points and that kind of stuff. Yeah, because this, this game is technically an alternating activation, but it's it not your standard where I move one unit and I'm done. Yeah. It's a unit and a solo or... So so the word unit in this game means everything. Warjacks are units, squads mm-hmm. are units, solos are units. So it's, it's you always activate a unit, but then you get to activate a bonus solo. And that... That came from our exploration of what do different models do and what value do the different models and their activations have. So you've already pointed out the squads, they, they're flexible. They have a lot of guns. They can split their fire between multiple targets. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of scenarios, they're what captures objectives. So we knew that squads were valuable when we first started playing. And we knew warjacks were valuable because they have more hit points, sometimes higher armor. They could have more arc because I explained you put arc on things earlier Normally, you can only put one arc on a model, but on a warjack, it can have up to three. So warjacks can be very powerful with their attack rolls and how often they can spike and all those kind of things. But we needed for solos to do something cool. And we played around with a whole lot of different options, and what we came down to was solos are kind of your toolbox. You can always activate a solo no matter what else you activate during your turn. So your, your weavers or your hunters or other things can always get into the game, even if you're focusing on, okay, my Warjack has to go over there and blow those things up, and my squad's got to go take that point, and that kind of stuff, that your solos are still part of that without you having to take an entire turn just to activate one model. So, for example, I'm just going to throw a scenario out there. I've got, sure. and, and this is just blown out numbers, I have three Warjacks, two Weavers, two troops and like three solos on my turn Mm -hmm. i go i'm gonna activate this troop and this solo do what they do and i'm done yes gotcha yeah so it's 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 i'm not activating my entire army i'm only activating parts of my army and then passing my turn over to my opponent yeah it's a very modified uh i activate something you activate something back and forth And there's, of course, with the card deck, with the cipher cards, which are effectively spells in this game, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to play around with that because there are cards that remove activation tokens. The uh, cryo, I think it's called cryo bolt. It might Mm -hmm. be something else. There's a fury that puts an activation token on a model it hits, so you can kind of freeze your opponent's model. Mm -hmm. There's also cards that can move your models. You guys saw the the card, Hungerford played it, where it let a squad make an additional range attack oh, in addition yeah. to whatever. It, so those guys could have punched and shot or shot twice and it let them put out a whole bunch of bullets. Yeah. So there's a bunch of... The Cypher cards are also customizable because one of the things we wanted to do in this game instantly, and a lot of these conversations have come from the last 20 years of Privateer Press existing, but we started out with this game being called Warcaster and us talking about making customized warcasters letting the player make the warcaster they wanted to make so during the development of the game that went from a model on the table to not a model on the table but eventually that became the rack of cards you used your deck the starter comes with 24 and all the starters come with the same 24 generic cards and you play with 15 cards from that so right out of the gate the spells you're going to be throwing around during the game are spells you've brought that you've chosen in your deck 
but then your deck is randomized, so you might not get the spells you want exactly when you want them. Yeah, but you there's if you're using a lot of cards, which I know people are going to start asking, you know, what's this faction play like? And I put quotes around this. Yeah. Like, this is our yeah. spellcaster faction. This is our heavy weapons faction. This is our, you know, type thing that if you have a faction that can use or you get the ability, you got the right amount of cards, you can, because Hungerford said if you run out of your deck, you just reshuffle your deck and go again. Yeah, you just reshuffle the, the, the rack and stuff. So, so the, other, the other thing about that live stream game, which it didn't explain 100% what the game's really going to feel like, is because we were only playing with starters. Correct. In a skirmish level game, it's eight units in your reserves. So that could be five squads and a couple of solos and a couple of warjacks. Um, but a full game is up to 15 things on your reserves. So when you're playing a full game, there's a battle that was happening on the left side of the table, and then a new battle has popped up on the right side of the table. Mm -hmm. And... Those cards, most of those ciphers being global means that you have a lot of access to playing them. When you guys saw our game, <laughs> at the beginning especially, I pulled a bunch of squad cards and didn't put a squad on the table because Hungerford put a squad down and I wanted to put other models to show off what they were. Mm -hmm. And then my one squad had to be on the table to play those cards. But in a regular game, even a skirmish game with eight units, you're going to have models that stick around a little bit longer and, and can be more applicable to those cards. Um. Now, one of the things that I building your army because yeah. you say you know you have fifteen of something. Is yeah. there going to be like all right? You have we're going to be playing an, an eight man. Is there going to be a standard? I guess so. Standard is a forty eight by forty eight, so a four foot table mm -hmm. and fifteen units in your reserves, gotcha. and that can be anything you want. Like I said, uh, squads generally. Capture objectives, mm -hmm. so you're going to want squads, but warjacks are kind of the tanks of the setting, so you're going to want warjacks. Um, in addition to choosing what you put in your reserves, you're also going to build your deck of 15 cards, um, three of each of the ciphers. So there are furies, which are attack spells, basically. Mm -hmm. There are harmonics, which can, which can affect whatever they say they affect. Generally, they're, they're neutral in what can, they can affect, but sometimes they have specific things. Uh, geometrics affect squads, only squads. And then harm, uh, overdrives affect only warjacks. So you have to have three of each of those types, and then you can customize the other cards in your deck, the last three, to be whatever you want. So technically, I could go solo heavy, troop heavy, jack You could. You, you could, but it also depends on the scenario, because like I said, there's some scenarios where you need squads to grab objectives. There's mm -hmm. other scenarios where anybody can pick up the doodad and take it to the point to score it and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And also, you're, you're going to customize your Warjacks while you're building your army. So the Dusk Wolf, for example, uh, you guys saw that on Get Your Paint On if you watched this week's episode. Mm -hmm. If you haven't, go back and, and check it out. Yeah. So they were playing with two different variations on the Dusk Wolf. So the Dusk Wolf has five build points and three hard points. So the build points are what you spend to put equipment on it, mm -hmm. and the hard points are where the equipment can go. It's got two arm hard points and a shoulder hard point. And with its five points, something like the battle rifle, the just generic machine gun, might cost one point, whereas the rail gun, I think, costs three. Yeah. So the one that we've been showing on the website, it has the ripper chainsaw arm, and it has the battle rifle arm, and then it has the rail gun arm. But Jordan was painting, and I have it right here because I brought it home to base it for him. Jordan, Jordan was painting one with a Talon rocket pod and a battle rifle and a flamethrower. 
uh, particle accelerator gun. Sorry, I thought that was a flamethrower because it has a tank on it, but it's not. <laughs> um, and and you can like the battle rifle on this one is on the opposite arm as the studio paint job one, so you can mix and match and you can duplicate if you want. Um, and there's no there's you just get up to five points, and there might be reasons to build a warjack lower than five points because you want it to be a melee specific warjack or a shooty specific warjack or whatever. And then there are four cortex options that are completely free. You can just only pick one because it's the head that goes in the model. And the cortex options give you other abilities. I think the sniper one makes your guns shoot farther. And the, uh, the neural net cortex, which is what this one has, gives you a defense bonus for how many other friendly models are around you and that kind of stuff. So you're, you're telling me that I'm definitely going to be uh, magnetizing my jacks. Uh, we, we are keeping magnetization in mind in these model kits. I can't talk... Okay. Yeah. More about specifics, especially because it's not my job to engineer things. But yes, we knew that magnetizing these things would be on people's minds. So mm-hmm. we're keeping that in mind as we're building them. Yeah, because I, I, I'm figuring WYSIWYG is going to need to be a thing. Well, uh, it, yes, because it'll be really confusing to your opponent if you put down a Warjack and it has guns on it that, you, that you've decided it doesn't have. Correct. And but, but keep in mind, you build that stuff before... You play, so you're not going to be swapping things during play. Correct. And no matter what weapons you put on the Warjack, it doesn't count any different in your reserves. It still counts as one thing. So if you want to glue your model together because you're like, this is the best. I love two flamethrowers. It's my favorite build. You can glue that model together, and it won't change anything about how many spots in your unit reserves that takes up or how expensive that model is to summon. It's always going to cost the same. There might be some down the road where it's like we put this apocalyptic cannon on the thing so it costs more, one more to summon. But right now, there's nothing like that. And you'll see all those rules as you're building your models. So it's not like it's going to be a surprise that we say, oh, no, that, that changes things. Correct. But, I mean, definitely you're like, uh, this is a, you know, a laser cannon. And it's like, no, that's a claw arm, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Type thing, uh, John. Did you have? I know that you watched it and you had some specific questions. I've been kind of monopolizing. I sorry. I apologize. No, that's fine. He actually has been answering uh, my questions through natural course of discussion. Anyway, I, I tend good. to talk too much, so I I, I ramble around to uh, things. No, we, we we want that because there's a lot of people <laughs> that want to know a lot of stuff, and I know there's certain sure. things you can't talk about, like. When is the Kickstarter? You know, what are you uh, soon? That's yeah. all we're saying right now. It's going to be soon. Uh, and 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 like we said, I believe on one of the websites, we're going to give people some warning for when it's going to go live. But we just don't want to promise things right now because you know production timelines and the realities of all kinds of stuff can a- affect things like that. Okay. But we'll give you some warning. The coronavirus is going to affect a lot of production. Oh, the coronavirus! It's great. Yeah, everyone yeah. loves it. Uh, John, did you have any that we haven't covered yet? No, no, literally didn't. I've been taking notes of what okay. he said. He's actually covered uh, all the ones I did because uh, the big one I was going to ask him, he covered it really early, which was what's the hook of the game? Because you know, like the Warcaster is the hook of Worm a War Machine, but he handled that early. Early that summoning your models in is sort of the hook of the game. Yeah, and it, it's having played the game from its inception to now. That's the thing I think that will jump out at people the most as unlike other things there are other games that do things like it but there's a lot of dynamic action going on and like the other thing that that our battle box game didn't show off that well is that you can during the phase of the game where you can drop a new gate you can drop it off of any warrior models so solos or squads that didn't also come onto the table through a gate that turn 
And when you're playing on a full 48 by 48 and you might have, you know, 16 warrior models on the table or whatever, then you have a lot more options of where your gates are going to come down on than you did in our battle box game. Are you going to be, uh, this is kind of weird. Um, are you, cause y'all had just a base with like a, the cardboard thing. Are there going to be specific gates? Can we make our own as long as they follow the conformity of so, they have to be so this big or this whatever? Gates gates are 30 millimeter bases. So I can the, make a gate whatever I want because they're just... The, the token sheet inside the box is going to have... So I made those gates out of a printout that mm-hmm. was on the live stream. But the token sheet does have a two-part gate, a flat piece and a three-dimensional... Not three-dimensional, but a, a piece that pops up off of it. And you can glue that into a base. Um, and there's other things possibly in the Kickstarter that we might talk more about with gates and things, gotcha. but right now I'm not going to say anything else. But yeah, they're just 30 millimeter bases. So if you want to like crazy LED out your wacky gyroscopes, as long as you don't make them, you know, size of a basketball, I'm sure it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, because I was I, I saw that and I was like, then you're like, these aren't the real ones. These are ones that we put together just for you know the. The, yeah. the cast. Now, the, like, the ones inside the starter box, the tokens, will look a lot like those gates. They just won't be hot glued, you know, paper cutouts. Yeah. But they'll have the same art and stuff because that's what I used. Um, go ahead, John. Uh, Crimson wants to know, are you going to need a lot of tokens and markers and stuff? So uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but everybody's starter comes with seven Arc and Essence tokens. So Arc. And then it comes with activation tokens, I believe, more than you need in the box because you only need four for the starter box. Then it's going to come with some damage tokens, and then it's going to come with some effect tokens. So we didn't talk about continuous effects much in that live stream because we didn't, we didn't want to bog people down with extra stuff. Mm-hmm. But we have corrosion and fire, that, uh, as you would expect from a game that, that we've designed. Um, <laughs> and then there are, other, there are other continuous effects, and so some of those tokens are also in the starter. And then uh, there's objectives, both portable and stationary. And then there's some other things I'm probably blanking on. Although oh. all the other things, all the other things might be status effects. I'm just trying to think of which ones are which and what's uh, in there. We did talk, and it was off stream because I had mentioned, it and I wanted to make sure I brought it up. Um, you did a knockdown effect against one of his normals, or no, hunger for yeah, you did it against. Uh, as Weaver or something, and slammed him against a, or he did it against you, slammed a model into he, a pipe. He did slam one of my models into a pipe. And that model did not become knockdown. So is there not auto there's, knockdown? So there's not, that when we took out facing, we also took out some of that other stuff. So right now, as far as I remember, there's no core rule about knockdown in the game because we've abstracted things out a little bit wider than, than that kind of thing. And with the survivability of models, often... So slamming in this game adds a red die to your damage roll, which means you have a better chance of breaking the person's armor. Mm-hmm. So if you slam a one, one, point, one hit point model into a thing, they're just probably going to get squished. And we didn't want... Like I said during the live stream, we're also not tracking systems on these Warjacks. Warjacks don't have arms and legs and stuff. They just have a number of hit points and a number of armor. So we wanted to speed up a lot of that stuff. Now, there are, st- there are status-type effects that will do weird things to you. There's a lockdown status effect. There's mm-hmm. a tune-up status effect. There's a system failure one that when you hit somebody with it, you ha- that you roll a die, and, they- and if it's a warjack, they either can't use their guns or they can't use their melee weapons until that status effect goes away. 
So those continuous effects will kind of do things a little bit like that, but they're model-specific instead of having a lot of core rules to keep track of. Yeah, because I, I saw that and I was waiting for it. I'm like, knock down, knock down, knock down. No, knock down, okay. Yeah. Because um, that was that was an interesting thing. Because uh, I also noticed like the Warjacks didn't have a lot of hit points. They were like, what, four? The light Warjacks that we were playing with only have three hit points apiece. Yeah. And they're, and they're light in the fact that they are less build points and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a big question on the Facebook page, but there's no effectively rule associated with light. So in, in War Machine, a light Warjack's always on a 40 millimeter base, and it also, like, light Warjack's can't trample, and light Warjack's can't do other things like that. Uh, these Warjack's are on 50s, mm-hmm. and I believe that the heavies, the ones with more, more uh, hard points, are also going to be on 50s. Because we're kind of looking at this game as... What base size does the model need to stand up? <laughs> so <laughs> a big human might be on a 40. It's a little bit like when we do the base sizes for Riot Quest models, we're kind of basing the base sizes. Like Dez is a human on a 40 millimeter base, which is not normal for someone that's not in power armor. But she's kind of big, so we just put her on a 40. Yeah. So this game is we, we'll, we'll more than like I, my dream, my dream, and I've pitched this to Matt and don't take this as any kind of any kind of fact of any kind, but I want to put a, a warjack with one hard point on a 30 millimeter base and just have a little tiny warjack running around. He's just got one gun or one chainsaw arm or whatever, and he's just like, haha, I'm going to get you with my little chainsaw. Um, and, but I, I can't promise that'll happen. That's just that what I hope. Happens. like a true Searforge player. <laughs> That's what I hope happens someday. I basically want a pair of legs with a gun on a 30 millimeter base. It's technically a warjack. You want gun money. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. You for that. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was because there was when this came out, a lot of people were like, "Oh, this is just going to be you know War Machine in space." And I was like, "I hope not, because I don't want War Machine in space. I want something new and unique." Yeah. And when I was watching the stream, by the way, I love the models. I think the models are really cool. They look really neat. They've got a very good appeal to them. Um, mm-hmm. They've Thanks. got good aesthetics. They, you know, they they're they're unique enough that they're not you know whatever. But, you know, they, they appeal to me and I like them. I've already started thinking about paint schemes mm-hmm. already. And when I watched the stream, I was like, okay, I figured they were y'all going to use, and I'm putting quotes, the, the, the Mompok dice, because uh, that settles a lot of debates and it makes it really easy. You pick up this many, this mm-hmm. many, done. Um, and then I started watching it and then they were like, okay, kind of kind of common because I've been playing miniature games in a long time. I'm like, all right. And they're like, Where's the rest of the army? And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to put this gate down, and here comes my other units. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, because maybe I need to fortify an area, because I know that this mm-hmm. section of the board is going to be something I need to protect because I need to get the control points or whatever is happening on it. And I thought that was really good. And then when I learned that there wasn't, uh, especially on the scenario plan, there wasn't an instant win, I was mm-hmm. like, yes. I don't. I like games where I can play a lot longer. It's not like, you know, one turn and I'm done type thing because yeah. I did something wrong. And when it was like, or when you, and when you pull back the same model that died, I was like, good, that's cool because you lose a model in the game and it's gone forever. It's part of the war. But when you can bring back that same model, it makes it yeah. even a lot cooler tactic. Cause you're like, Oh, yeah. now my cards aren't worthless because my weaver is gone for the rest of the game. I'm just going to bring that weaver back in just a second. Yeah. And another element of that, that, um, that's kind of a blatant thing is that if we made war machine in space, literally with all the rules of war machine, but 
just cranked up the sci-fi level to models, then there wouldn't be a reason for War Machine to exist anymore. And we've said publicly in, in various places that this game does not replace War Machine. War Machine is not going to go away. War Machine's going to still get releases. RyQuest models are still War Machine models. Hungerford has talked about the Trollblood release and the Legion release that are coming later this year. Mm-hmm. So War Machine isn't just going to stop production because Warcaster. It's the same thing as Monpok didn't replace War Machine and RyQuest didn't replace War Machine. Mm-hmm. So War Machine's still a game, and War Machine still appeals to a lot of players, and we wanted to make this game something new that maybe those some players, same players would love, but if they didn't love it, they could just keep playing War Machine. Now... Something is coming out. You are going to Adepticon, correct? Which is only, what, 20 some days away? Uh, the 25th is when we fly, which I think is that Wednesday. Yep. I'm so, yeah, this is Wednesday. the first. So we're we're 20-something days away. Yep. And at Adepticon, are y'all going to be doing demos at Adepticon? So I am not 100% sure on that because that's going to rely on models and stuff. Okay. And we'll talk more about that during the Kickstarter and things like that. But I'm not going to promise yes or no, because I'm not sure. I'm not the con manager. I'm not the person making the models ready. It, it could happen last minute. It could never happen. I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. But you will have some of the models there for us to at least look at. Well, and... we'll have them in the display case, yeah, definitely. Okay. And definitely. you are selling a special pose model? So the uh, we did this on the Primecast. Mm-hmm. The Coalition Weaver, the Marcher World's Weaver, without the helmet, Who's holding the her her staff more out instead of up? She's going to be the model that we release for you to buy at Adepticon. Limited buying production, so one or two. I have no idea. Oh. We usually we usually limit things based on how many we bring and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So if we bring like a thousand, we probably won't limit them as much as if we bring two hundred. Yeah. I'm not sure, but that all depends on on production levels and. I mean, we have twenty-something days to figure out how many of those we're going to have there. Yeah. But yeah, the, that's I definitely the plan right to now. pick up one. I'm I'm definitely going to pick up one because I want to try some uh, paint schemes and yeah. you know, I, I I'm not sure because you uh, one of the things uh, are how many factions are we going to get start on Kickstarter? Because I know that was another question is how many because we've got three showing. Do you know? So so this is this is another one of those questions that's uh, for the for the near future. Um, the total number of factions. It's something we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the Marchers and the Iron Star Alliance are definitely the first two factions, and they're definitely going to be you know, a big part of the focus of this Kickstarter stuff. Uh-huh. But the rest of that, we showed off the continuum to get people hyped and excited about it. Correct. But we're not talking about the specifics of what's happening during the Kickstarter. Imagine that in like a few weeks or whatever, you'll know all the answers to all those questions. Okay. <laughs> no promises that a few weeks means... Any particular dates, but yeah. So, is there any one thing that you are extremely stupid excited about in this game that you haven't told us about that you're like, this is the one must have that I will constantly do every single time? So, uh, rules are never locked until they're locked. Mm-hmm. But the the big guy, what people are calling the big guy in the continuum, starter box art, mm-hmm. he's probably one of my favorite. Visually, he's got like a great big giant clampy claw and a big giant machine gun arm. He's also at the top of that page. That's a paladin commander fighting that same guy, but from the back instead of from the front. Uh-huh. So he's probably one of my favorite models so far in the game, both to play on the table and just I just love the way he looks. Big giant robot man with a gun arm and a clampy choppy claw thing. <laughs> but yeah. 
I also like the I, I like the mainline squad night in that faction a lot with their with their chainsaw axes and their creepy trench coats. Like now, I do want to say that I want to thank you because a lot of my local players, uh, we always like to support our store. And yeah. y'all said that y'all are doing a retailer support with your Kickstarter, which yeah. I think is yeah. Thank you for doing that uh, because we're always. Uh, all of us are always about supporting our local store because we play there. And yeah. that was a big contention. They were like, oh, they're doing a Kickstarter. And then later on, y'all, and during the, the stream, y'all said, we will have a you know retailer support. And that made yeah. my local store go, yes, thank you. Yeah. Because there's some that don't do that, and it, it just kind of turns off people from you know doing it. And so having a retailer support, I think, is a, a very wise, wise, awesome decision. Well, retailers give people places to play games, and especially more importantly, get people places to meet opponents yes. and friends. In the, like my my personal philosophy is that strangers are friends you haven't met yet. So <laughs> if there isn't a place to get together to play the games and to meet each other, then the entire hobby as it exists would not exist. Uh, oddly enough, the the special building for monster apocalypse is coming out the third crush hour building that's the dice saloon building that we ran the competition for it is a replacement for the power station the power plant because that's what keeps the entire industry alive is is a healthy local <laughs> local game store thing so we replaced we did the we did the corporate hq as ours and then we did the the donut as the industrial complex and so this the the game store is the power plant of monster apocalypse because you know games wouldn't exist exactly if game stores didn't exist to to help people find each other. Correct. We're we're big on that. Um, John, do you have any other questions? Uh, nope. But I want to make a note. Uh, Wade of three mentioned that he's definitely going to demo before buying or backing this. But you also want to keep an eye out for all of their gameplay videos because you'll get some more information there yeah. too. That way you can make some decision when the Kickstarter comes in how much you want to be waiting there to take a look at everything. There's yeah. a lot out there now, and there's going to be more coming. Um, yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen the gameplay video, go watch it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with it. I was really happy with what I saw. Um, depending on which faction, you know, everything comes around, I'm not 100% sure what I want to get into, but I'm not going to wait. For, I'm going to wait for the Kickstarter to happen before I worry yeah. about it. Um, yeah, our, our YouTube page is Private Your Press Prime. You can also watch it on the video section of our Twitch page, which I believe is just Private Your Press on Twitch. Yes. I don't think we have any other words there. Um, with that, let's go ahead and go to our media section. Um, Oz, we've already told you about our rating system, so you know what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you can figure it out. Uh, John, we only have like about 15 minutes left in this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with I only have one, and uh, it's because I started watching it again. Um. Captain Mizzy, which she's working today, she can't, she couldn't be on to watch today. Um, she's running through Avatar: The Last Airbender, and we're I think we're into book three, and I'm watching this, and I'm still going. Damn, this is just a damn good TV show. Mm -hmm. I I can't believe that we haven't had something. Not saying that everybody's, but a, a good cartoon like this in a long time. Um, that was you know on air on regular TV. And there's just, it's just so damn good. Um, I still laugh at all the jokes, even though I've seen it numerous times. I still like watching it. I still think it's amazing. Um, I know the, another friend of mine, uh, I think she's listening to, uh, she's never seen it. So as soon as Mizzy's, Captain Mizzy's done with it, she's 
taking it over and going to watch it. But um, I'm going to have to give you, it's still, even after all these years, Avatar Less Airbender TV show is still zero space herpes, man. You can't go wrong with this show. I don't care what anybody says. If you don't like Avatar, I think you probably need to check your, you know, where you are in the universe right now because that show is just unbelievable. I only ever got a chance to watch that show on television, so I have no idea how many episodes I have not seen. Oh. <laughs> I've seen, I think I've seen all of book four and lots of the rest, but there's probably episodes here and there I've missed because I just watched them when they were on. Yeah. So, uh, Oz, what have you, you got anything you want to review today? Uh, I've been, I've been watching a lot of random things lately. Uh, my favorite thing I've seen recently is a Netflix series called I Am Not Okay With This. It just came out maybe a couple days ago. I watched it, uh, Friday night or Saturday night. It's only seven or eight episodes and they're only 24 minutes long a piece. So it's really easy just to sit down and watch the entire thing. It's by the producers of Stranger Things. And it's got uh, Bev and Stan from the recent It movie. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember. I can't remember either of those two actors' names. And it's got a few other actors and stuff that you might have seen and things. Um, the mom is a familiar face and that kind of stuff. But it's about a weird supernatural thing happening to a kid in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that they they tell it kind of out of order. Like the very first opening scene is the end of the story. But it's 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 happening out of order, and it doesn't really need to. It doesn't have to happen in order. I'm a big fan of nonlinear storytelling, and then it kind of every once in a while it goes back and shows you a little bit more of the progression of the very end of the story, kind of building you up to what's going to happen. But it doesn't really give anything away because I know people hate spoilers, even though I don't personally believe that they exist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'd have to give that a zero as well on your weird weird rating system <laughs> but yeah here's that it's uh based on a comic book also oh yeah it's based on a comic book i can't remember who wrote it or what who published it it didn't really Sorry. say it. i haven't looked it up yeah i I, just, I, I saw that and i got it on my queue right now because i i yeah. was like i saw the trailer for it i was like oh that looks interesting and neat i didn't know it was yeah. only seven episodes so in only i think minutes, it might be really... eight but it's it's really short I and mean, all the episodes are really really short but it does a pretty good job of telling an interesting story and uh, there's a bit of profanity in it, so watch out if you're trying to watch it around kids and stuff. <laughs> this audience, I don't have to worry about that. Oh, no. <laughs> I know you guys that, probably, but you know, people have kids or yeah. people are watching things in public or whatever. Yeah, in the break room at work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Peppy. Yeah. <laughs> your buds. Right. John, what do you got? Uh, I will talk about the one that I just saw all the way through for the first time today. Uh, it's on a three pack DVD I bought. Um, um, I bought it for the Long Kiss Goodnight because the three-pack Blu-ray was cheaper than the single Blu-ray. So, yeah, get happens. it with two other movies. Uh, so this one is Point of No Return, which oh. is basically the American remake of Nikita. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've seen parts of this many times on cable, but never all the way through. And uh, I was probably okay not seeing it all the way through. It is not a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> I will honestly say the point where I ended, which is there's a point where she graduates. Um, the whole plot is like Nikita, if you're not sure about it, is she's a druggy, you know, on the street girl, and she gets sentenced to death. The government grabs her and fakes her death, and they're going to make her into an operative because they need a female operative. And um, that's sort of from there. And 
it's it's got some really weird, really weird choices directorially speaking. Um, but the best part is probably the action scene when she graduates and she's in a restaurant and they make her kill some people. And then that's probably the best action scene of the movie. And that happens fairly early, about a third of the way in, mm-hmm. end of Act 1. And from there, you just don't bother. It's not worth the time. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I bought it at one time because I heard it was you know the American version of Nikita. And I was like, okay, cool. I I, I, I didn't think it was horrible. But yeah, it's it does go downhill after she graduates. or bad. It's just not good. Yeah. And they do this weird thing early on where... Um, they do a montage of training, and she's sort of fucking off and not fucking off, and you know, in some things. And they do that montage, and then it's like, oh, you're gonna have to get her in line, or she's gonna be killed. And then instead of doing a montage of her shaping up, they literally cut to, oh, you're graduating now. Like, <laughs> maybe you want us to show how cool she is, because we don't get an idea, and you still, at the end of the movie, don't get much of an idea how cool she is. I mean. This is one where I see why they've remade it more times than I can easily count, because it is an interesting source material. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to see the original Nikita. I don't mind subtitles. Actually, I watch all English movies in subtitles too. Um, I know there's two TV series as well, at least. Mm-hmm. There was yeah, one yeah. shortly yeah. after it came out in '93 on USA Network. I want to say, and then there's another one later with Maggie Q in the lead role. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I think so. And I'll watch anything with Maggie Q, I'll be honest. So maybe some of that in my future. But for this movie, it doesn't have enough action. It doesn't have good enough drama. It doesn't have much of enough of anything to really be worth watching. Uh, so I, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a tiny piece of advice that I've learned. Oh. In my in my media binging, uh, if you ever worried a movie might not be that good, pair it with a movie you know won't be any good. <laughs> and watch the other movie second. So, so I have this habit. I, I, I go to any kind of genre movie. I try to go to the theaters for. If it's horror, if it's action, like with a sci-fi twist, if it's whatever, because I want to still vote with my dollars and convince studios to still make those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that means I have seen almost every single Transformers movie in a theater, oh. <laughs> but I didn't. Watch. I didn't go to see the last night because I was finally done. I was like, I've done this. It was just, it's not worth it anymore. <laughs> but th- that also means that as soon as those movies hit a red box or whatever, I grabbed them and watched them. So the weekend I watched Transformers the last night, I also watched Tom Cruise The Mummy. <laughs> now, both yeah. of these movies are panned as pretty bad. But if I. And your your mileage may vary, but if you watch The Mummy after you watch Transformers: The Last Night, The Mummy will be a refreshingly good movie <laughs> that's plot makes sense and has some decent acting in it. Wow, that's that's powerful because I actually don't hate The Last Night. So funny little aside is on my other podcast I watch series right now. I watch yeah. a whole movie series, yeah. and. Uh, one of my locals, Officer Rob, bought me a Blu-ray set of all the Transformer movies. Ooh! So I would watch, watch the last night for him. Yeah. Because he wanted to hear about it, so I watched it, gave him a review. Um, and now I'm watching them all the way through. And I said during the second Transformers movie, I am looking forward to the Mark Wahlberg movies because they're better than this. Mark Wahlberg does elevate any movie up to a certain level because and- he's Mark Wahlberg. 
so yeah, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to and I actually don't hate the last night. I actually thought it had some interesting ideas. They really started to use the the mythology in a way. Sure. Interesting. You're like, oh cool. It's the yeah. day late a dollar short now, but Yeah. But they broke their own canon. They did. Uh and very, 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 very many of the plot lines either don't make sense or don't actually get resolved in any kind of capacity. It's a Transformers so, movie. That's yes, pretty it's standard. a Transformers movie. <laughs> but the one with the dinosaurs is the best one. Because oh, yeah, that's, that's next on my list. I just watched yeah. the third one. Yeah. Ooh. Age of Extinction is, is the best Transformers live-action movie. Uh, and I don't count Bumblebee in that list because Bumblebee is just E.T. with a robot. And it's a soft movie, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's a sob. I, I like the elements of Bumblebee, but I didn't love it because it's just, it's just, it's just ET. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm waiting until I get through the two Mark Wahlberg movies, and then I will watch yeah. it because it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so looking for that. But mm-hmm. on a point of no return, I give it. I'm going to give it three and a half space herpes because wow. it's just not. That's it's not lot. offensive, but it's not enough worth. There's not even those little parts to make you want to watch it. And to give you an idea, like I've watched stuff like, um, God, what's that? Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he's the sheriff when they came out. Yeah, I don't know. And, and uh, with uh, Johnny Knox- Knoxville. Yeah, the Last yeah. Stand, or something like that, or whatever you yeah. called it. That yeah. that's like a two and a half. There's action that's good. There, you know, that's a standard bog standard action movie, in my opinion. This is worse than that, and considerably because it doesn't have any real redeeming features. It's got one action scene worth a damn. It's what I call a clip movie. Go on YouTube, you watch that cool clip, you're done with it. Yep. So there you go. Uh, do you want to close up, Gonto? I got one more I can talk about. I did watch another um, movie. I, I just want to say that I am watching uh, Altered Carbon Season 2 right now. I've, um, I'm only like an episode and a half in, but so far, so good. Um, okay. Still cool. Oh, I disagree. It's, it's oh. supposed to get better towards the end, and I'm waiting yeah. to hear from some people. Nothing's made me turn it off, I'll tell you that much. I'm, I'm okay with whatever's going. Uh, I'm a little confused on some stuff, um, but overall, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it right now. I haven't got through it all. Uh, I don't give a rating until I've seen it all, but so far I'm happy with what I see. Have Have you read the books for that series? No, I did not. So, okay, I, I, so I'm going to spoil it myself on that. My only My only disappointment is the books. Okay. The first I I I watched the first season. I read the first and second book in that order. Mm-hmm. The first season of the show was better than the first book because the the mystery novel element of it is more nuanced, and they add some more they add some more stuff. So there's content in that first series of the show that are not in the book. And it doesn't ever bother me when, when stories are not the same between books and movies or whatever. But I think the show does a slightly better job of doing it. Okay. The second book is basically Indiana Jones in space. Oh, Takeshi is in a body uh, like 100 years later from the first one fighting as part of a civil war. And he gets recruited by an archaeologist that's trying to find a thing a MacGuffin to, you know, to unlock the ancients, the whatever they call the aliens that are dead mm-hmm. in that series. And so it all, ha- and it all happens on a desert planet. And it's very like Indiana Jones in, in, you know, in the thirties in the middle East where there's bazaars and, and the, and the level of lawfulness is not a hundred percent. And it's, and from everything I've gathered, I've watched a couple of episodes of this series too. Uh, they took the third book and they mashed all the relevant parts they wanted of the second book into the third book. Mm. And they just dumped all the Indiana Jones fun from I the story see. entirely. Ah, so gotcha. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting season. And I'm going to like it. 
But the fact that they'll never make book two now because they're borrowing enough of book two to make this one disappoints me because I, I wanted to see Indiana Jones in space. Gotcha. I feel you. That's why I'm really careful to try not to watch the source, read the source material before I watch the, the movie or whatever. Well, in my experience, and like I said, spoilers don't exist. Uh, your, your mileage may vary. Um, I have read and watched a lot of things in different orders. I have even read book trilogies in reverse because I came across the first one and liked it. And so I've read the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, stories that stand alone and are well told are always worth it. Even if some of the details vary or even if some of the details spoil things, because people are going to experience and tell stories differently. Like I've read, I watched the first two expanse seasons and then I read six of the books and the show is not caught up to where the books are yet. So I'm reading, I've read past where the show is, but the show doesn't do everything the way the books do. And the show does stuff. Okay. Generally, a lot of the stuff I like better than the books even because it's for a TV audience. But yeah, having, having read and watched a lot of these modern sci-fi properties that are being turned into TV shows, the books are, are a good enough standalone separate thing that you don't necessarily have to not read them yeah. because the TV shows are going to just do it differently. Awesome. John, what's your last one? And, and you can end us out tonight. Well, in the South, it's easy. It's one I've talked about before, but I don't remember. It's been a couple of years. Uh, I watched the extended edition of Suicide Squad. Someone had asked some questions about how long it was and all that. So I'm like, I put it in when I came down yesterday. It was still there. So I'm like, fucking, I'm watching this. It's lazy. <laughs> um, it is The extended edition is still the superior version of the movie because it adds in a bunch of stuff, a bunch of personal stuff that tries to make it uh, you know, it makes it more interesting. Uh, it's still not a perfect movie, even with that. Far from it. Uh, there's a lot of wasted potential still. Um, we've talked earlier about, you know, how Will Smith should not have been the main character. That should have been Joel Kinnaman's uh, Colonel Flag, or you could have done a movie where it's Colonel Flag and and Deadshot, and they bond, and everyone else fucking dies. That could have been a cool first movie, also, to get the Suicide Squad, Suicide Part in very well. But they didn't do that. They added Harley and everything. Um, if you haven't seen it, which is surprising at this point, it is still good, but I would try and track down the Blu-ray copy or DVD copy because it's got the extended edition because there's more to it there, and it's a lot more interesting. You get a bit more character development with some of the characters. That just helps. I mean, there's still stuff that's going to piss you off with it, like Katana. No, you don't You don't need to be there. You, you, you <laughs> like. I like Katana as a character from knowing who she is, but in this movie, she's... It's some chick with a sword who happens to be hanging out with special forces guys. <laughs> is what it is. Um, but definitely give it a shot. I like it. I actually would dare say I like it better than Birds of Prey, but it's not that big of a difference, really. Um, it, Birds of Prey feels like a better, like, how Suicide Squad should have been put together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. not as big a fan of telling stories out of order as you are. Yeah. I mentioned you probably would like the way they did Birds of Prey like that. I it did like touch, that. It was a touch too much in that, and some of the scenes were kind of crazy. Yeah. But I didn't, like, dislike the movie in any... I think I gave it two, two Space Herpes, and I'd probably give Suicide Squad Extended about two Space Herpes. But it feels like a tiny bit better than that. It's just not enough to change the rating. But, uh, yeah, so, worth it. Definitely Extended Edition. Don't watch the regular edition. Unless you want to just not watch eight minutes of extra footage. Oh, it's only eight? Yeah, it's like eight minutes of extra footage, something like that. Sure. Um, and it's all just, you know, Harley being Harley and, you know, character development stuff that helps the movie. 
Yeah. And so the, we get for the uh, soft reboot called The Suicide Squad because mm-hmm. that's the original name. But it's James yep. Gunn. I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, until that movie comes out, the animated Arkham oh, well, whatever Suicide Squad is the best version of Suicide Squad anyone's ever filmed. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, best no best gun ever. Well, guys, uh, that is our episode for tonight. We want to thank uh, Oz for coming on. It was great having you on, Oz. If you ever want to come on again, yeah. just let us know. Uh, no we're problem. always accepting new. Uh, we didn't actually get to the Monpoc stuff, so maybe we should have you on and you can talk about Monpoc when we get new models for Monpoc. You should. Okay. Well, we, we get new models for Monpoc every single month, but this summer we're putting out two brand new factions that have never existed in the setting before. Okay. We've been... We've been resurrecting a lot of stuff from old 2008 Monster Apocalypse, but we're putting out Space Dragons, the Draken Armada, okay. um, at Lock and Load. And then at Gen Con, we're coming out with the Zerkalo block, which are interdimensional Russians from a world where they won the Cold War and they built robots. So, so yeah, <laughs> there's, you your, wanna... there's your Space Kador. A little bit. You can paint them red <laughs> if you want. But yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I can come back on later when those things are releasing. We can talk about Monster Apocalypse. Yeah, well, we'll have to make sure it's after you've seen Cats. You guys didn't hear it early on, but he's gonna see Cats when it comes out of Redbox, and then we can talk about that. Yeah, it just it, it just depends on when they put it out on on DVD or Amazon or Netflix. Or they've got to do it soon. They want to make the money because it's yeah. Uh, they got to recoup some of that. Part of the slam dunking on it, to be honest, is the fact that it's just wasted so much money. Yeah, but it has a dedicated fan base. It's very small. Yeah, very, very small. I've, but there are people met, who love it. I've met more than one person who liked it. Mm-hmm. I might love it. It might be amazing. You never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, we will have this up on for everybody to see later. Uh, if you haven't, go check out the video uh, on any of the private share press pages uh, of the gameplay. Uh, are y'all going to be in another gameplay this coming week? Uh, I don't believe we're going to do a live stream game this week. But we are, but, you are going to have new spoilers coming out this week, right? Well, we are going to do, we are going to do live streams this week to talk more about stuff, to show off more things, to talk about things and to show off models. And we, I, I, am guessing our next game might be the week after this, Okay, but I'm not sure. Cause that, that schedule is also dependent on other things. Yeah. Cause the depth comes right around the corner. And Adeptic Count is, is quickly approaching. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. For more than dice, I'm Gonzo. I'm John. And I'm leaving. <laughs> you got to go through the music because now we talk over the background music and say stupid shit all the time. Like, John always races us to see who says stuff first. Yeah. Sometimes we just sit here and just ramble for the last, like, you know, two minutes saying things like John thinks Cats is the greatest movie ever. Of course. <laughs> <laughs>